time to run down the latest COVID headlines and check in with vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us once again here on Global News Radio. Dr. Gorfinkel, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right, we're going to start in the U.S. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, says Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids is safe. What can you tell us about this, doctor? What did Pfizer's submission show? So Pfizer submitted some 2,300 kids who were studied for over two months looking at the number of COVID cases that they had. And this is mostly Delta, so it's very relevant to the world right now. And what they found is that the vaccine was safe and effective. It produced antibody levels similar to that of young adults, and it didn't show any serious safety signals. It was the kind of thing we were hoping to see. Minor redness and soreness at the injection site, predictable enough. And then the same sort of side effects systemically, some headaches, some fever, some joint pains and muscle pains, but very short-lived and very well-tolerated. Now understand, this vaccine is only one-third the dose. But did the FDA actually approve it? No, they did not. They said, we're going to now hand it to an independent advisory board that will be looking at the data further on next Tuesday. So we'll have to see what they come up with, but it's looking good so far. Okay. As you know, there is some concern amongst parents about giving this vaccine to their children. Let me ask you about the sample size. You mentioned, I think, 2,300. Is that considered to be a fairly big sample, Dr. Gorfinkel? It's not a big sample compared to the 30,000 that were in its original trial. But when looking at kids, the data sample is always smaller. And really what they're looking for is not to replicate all the, all the efficacy data. It, they're really looking at more the safety concern. It, you know, and here the big question is, what about myocarditis? No one's making any assumptions around this. We know that kids generally get less sick. They're not the ones who wind up in hospital. You look at Canadian data, they account for one in a thousand hospitalizations. I'm talking about kids under the age of 18, never mind five to 11, which is this vaccine. But even so, they, they take that safety very seriously. It's one third the dose. It's probably too small a sample to see that myocarditis signal. So what will happen is that we'll have to see what really happens in real world if it, in fact, is provided to that 9% of the U.S. population. I'm talking about 28 million kids in the United States. They're already getting ready to give it out as we are here in Canada. We're just awaiting approval to see, you know, is it, are, are we going to have those? And then if, if Health Canada does in fact approve it for kids between five and 11, what will NACI say, the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations, because they're going to help direct the provinces and territories as to what to do if in fact Health Canada does decide to approve it. Okay, and that obviously is the next question, looking at what's going on in the States right now with the FDA and Pfizer. And as you mentioned, it'll be maybe sometime next week it gets final approval. Is Health Canada then expected uh, to follow a suit, would you think? And if so, what is the best way, do you think, to administer these pediatric uh, vaccines? Is it to do it in the schools or the school system or otherwise? Well, Health Canada has to look carefully at, at the data on its own. And just because the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, that's Health Canada's counterpart in the US, just because they have approved it, it's not at all a given that Health Canada will. It's not an automatic thing. 
So we'll have to see what their experts say when they look at the data. Is it robust enough to give approval to? Now, that, of course, has to be weighed against the ongoing harms of COVID-19. And the FDA and I think Health Canada will probably agree that the ongoing harms far exceed the potential for harm from the vaccination. As far as how to give it out to the population, the answer is always the same, which is take it to the people who need it most. And ideally, yes, it would be taken to schools. And ideally, in my view, it would become an opt-out system rather than an opt-in. However, parents, of course, would have to sign and provide permission. But I think to, to try to take down the barriers as much as possible would be the way to go. Joined by Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Also a big COVID headline today, Dr. Gorfinkel, is out west in B.C. This is being called precedent setting. B.C. will apparently offer booster shots to anyone who wants one in the new year. It is really quite incredible, actually. That is an extremely bold move. I mean, this is, has NASA suggested doing this? The National Advisory Committee on Immunizations is usually the body that calls the shots. Did they do that now? Absolutely not. The NASA advisory is just saying, give it to those who are at the very highest risk, those whom and whom a third dose is essentially a second dose. But BC has taken it to an unprecedented level, almost worldwide, which is to say everybody gets a booster shot the Israel, of course, has done this as well, but it remains to be seen if it really does make a lot of sense to give it to people under the age of 30. And why do I say that? Again, that myocarditis signal, can it just be ignored? I think we don't have great data on that. I think Israeli data certainly would support giving it to people who are older. I don't think there's a lot of debate in individuals who are 65, say, who have diabetes, have pre-existing heart disease, lung disease, or on dialysis. I mean, these people are really at high risk. And Israeli data shows that the vaccination efficacy does, in fact, drop. It drops to 39% after six months and this is for mild to moderate disease in individuals who had Pfizer. So does it make sense? Absolutely. We want to reduce that mild to moderate disease, try to get that up. And you give that third dose, Israeli data shows 95% efficacy. You bounce it right back. So at least in higher risk populations, three dose, a three-dose schedule may be the final solution, but we really don't know that for sure. It's going to take time to see. But one thing we do know is that hospitalization, even after two doses, hospitalization and severe disease are, are significantly reduced. All right. So are other provinces then, are they expected to follow BC's lead and follow suit here? I mean, obviously the numbers in British Columbia, particularly in certain areas of the province, haven't been great during the fourth wave. And then we're thinking about Alberta and Saskatchewan. They've been decimated, as we know, by the fourth wave. We've uh, fortunately fared much better here in Ontario. But would a province like uh, Ontario that's done reasonably well in the fourth wave, do we need to? Should we consider a booster shot early in the new year, do you think? I think we are considering booster shots. I think this is a, a moving puzzle. I think the National Advisory Committee on Immunization has just received, to put it politely, a kick in the pants to put out another uh, explanation what's going to happen. I believe they're going to be making an announcement within the next week or so. That's what I've heard um, about who will get booster shots, who qualifies for them exactly. 
What concerns me the most is that I don't think patients themselves realize this is a conversation to have with your individual doctor. You know, if I'm over 65 and I received my dose five, six months ago, and I have comorbidities, that's a conversation to have with the doctor because the doctor can write a note. This is not etched in stone. The doctor can write a note, say, please provide this patient, my frail older patient, my patient with comorbidities, my patient who's a cancer survivor and, and is really, you know, is worried about having received that last dose six months ago. I think that's very reasonable. And the doctor, you know, it's, a, it's an individual conversation, but the doctor should, you know, consider writing that note. Mm-hmm. You know, as you and I have talked previously and wondered aloud why uh, COVID seems to hit some people harder than uh, others. And I know you have said that that's because we're all unique. Uh, our immune systems are uh, different from uh, one another. Same uh, then when it comes to the uh, vaccine and the need for a uh, booster shot. For those who are wondering, how do you know if you need a, a booster and uh, when is a good time for you? Six months after your second dose might be good for one patient. Another patient, maybe uh, with a different uh, makeup, could wait a little longer. And again, just have that conversation with your doctor. Well, ultimately, these are big data questions that help drive individual responses, right? So the way I look at it is that none of this is truly etched in stone. We have to try to look at what Israel's data suggests. You know, we look at what happened in BC. And in fact, there is a loss of immunity over time, especially in individuals who are older, especially in those who have comorbidities. And I think responding to that data, being agile intellectually enough to say, wait a second, we, there probably is a need for booster shots. Will it prove to be in everybody? Well, that remains to be seen, but certainly older populations with comorbidities, when time has gone by, I think the Israeli data speaks loud and clear. A third dose of Pfizer and possibly, you know, Moderna as well makes sense. Now, what about the other vaccines? What about AstraZeneca, for example? Keep your ear to the ground. We don't have the best data just yet, but it is a work in progress, as they say. All right. Got to take a quick break. When we come back, we will ask the doctor about what's coming up this weekend. Halloween. It is back on after uh, having a bit of a rest uh, last year, being uh, canceled uh, last year. But should you be concerned? Should you have some uh, fears over trick-or-treating this Halloween? We'll ask Dr. Gorfinkel about that next here on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink. 